0: Good morning. <laughs> hey. Good, morning, Good morning! Good morning, City Good morning. Gates! For those of you who do not know me, my name is Lucy. I've been a member here for about eight years. I am so excited to be able to uh, speak with you guys about the Book of Ruth today. And uh, first, before we dive in, um, we have been studying some pretty epic books of the Old Testament. And I was rudely informed that I'm short enough that you should be able to see the sign behind me. (laughs) So uh, we've gone from Genesis all the way through uh, to Judges from last week. And these are such big books. And I have to give kudos to the gentlemen who have been speaking because that's not an easy job. These books have so much in them, uh, so much information, so many stories. And it's really like we zoomed out and we've taken a look down and we've seen the overall themes that God has been showing us through these books. And then we get to Ruth and it's like, all of a sudden we zoom in on one story of these, these characters. And it's, it is quite an amazing thing. So um, the big thing that we're going to talk about today is redemption, but Ruth is a book of redemption. If you're going to call this anything, we're going to call it that Ruth book of redemption. Okay. Um, Now, when we left off at Judges, and Mike had that awesome job of having to do Judges, which was tough, i got to say, and we left off with the last line. You guys remember, it's basically, Israel had no king, the people did as they saw fit. So this was not a good time for Israel. This was not a good time for them. I've read the words, spiritual decay, there was a lot of darkness, there was a few good points, but really, this was like the dark ages for the Israelites, And Ruth takes place in the latter part of Judges. So the time is about 1160 to 1100 BC. And it's like, um, I'm just going to describe, I'm going to read a quote from Robert Hubbard, who was a a commentary who wrote this. He said, as we come to understand how the story of Ruth functions in the Old Testament, it becomes a bright, radiant thread woven into the fabric of Israel's larger national history. Now, that's a really wordy way of saying that Ruth is important. And uh, we've been talking about the reason I like that is because if you can't see this on film. um, This is a bright, radiant thread. And what we've been seeing God do from Genesis all the way to where we are now is he's been weaving this story of redemption through Genesis and through Exodus all the way to the book of Ruth. And in Ruth, it's like he like pinpoints it and then does a whole bunch of big, important things in the book of Ruth about redemption. So this sort of represents Are what Ryan coined through line, but I'm, I'm a simple gal. So I like this. This is our through line of redemption. Okay. So here we go. Um, Book of Ruth is pretty small. It's four chapters in this very small book. uh, The word redemption in any of its forms is mentioned 23 times in four chapters. So if you're doing a study, if there's a theme going on, look for repetitive words, I would say this is one of them. So, This is what we're highlighting today. So I get to give you an overview. I'm going to kind of retell the story in my own words. And uh, here we go. So Ruth, uh, the act one. So Ruth is divided into four, basically four acts. We kind of look at it like it's this beautiful story. um, And we have four acts. In act one, we're going to call the tragedy. Okay, so the scene opens. And we have, we're introduced to the main characters. We're introduced to Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. Are Orpah and Ruth. Now, they have Naomi used to live in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Okay, she married Elimelech, her husband. It's a time of famine; they have nothing to eat, so they decide they're going to leave and go to the land of Moab. Now, that was a big deal back then because Moab was despised by the Israelites not not a popular place to move to. Didn't really like these people, but they go there to find food. Um, While there, they take their two sons. While they're there. Her husband dies. So she's now a widow. She, Her two sons have married Moabite women. And their husbands die. So now we have three widows. And back then, being a widow was like bad news, man. So you lose everything if you lose your husband. If you lose your sons, even worse. So we're, we're, we've got like three strikes on Naomi right now, right? So we open up the scene. Naomi's there with her two daughter-in-laws. They're weeping. They're in the throes of grief. They're obviously torn And Naomi has decided, she's like, I got to go back to my homeland because I've heard they've got food there. She has to just think about her survival right now because she's lost all her security. Everything is gone. And her two daughter in laws are looking at her and they're like, We're going to come with you. We love you. And she's like, No, don't come with me. What hope do you have if you come with me? What hope? And and she's like, What am I going to do? I'm, I'm old, I can't have more sons, and you're gonna wait for them to get married. Because that was really the hope for a widow back then, is that you get married and have sons. That was what you were meant to do. And she's like, Go to your homeland, go back to your families. There's hope there because there you could, you know, remarry. The hope for being remarried was this was wise advice she was giving them. So Orpa, the one daughter-in-law, decides among tears and she kisses Naomi. And she's like, I'm going to go back to my homeland. She does that. Ruth does not do that. And we're going to turn, if you guys have your book Bible with you, we're going to go to Ruth 1, and we're going to go to verse 10. And this is a pretty famous passage in Ruth that may ring a bell, and I'm going to read it out here. All right, so, sorry, it's Ruth 1, verses 16 to 18, sorry. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So I'm going to just push pause for a second, and I would love to give some perspective to this decision. I'd like to introduce you to my mother-in-law. She's not here. She's at the Ocredos. Hey, Mom. And uh, picture should, she's kind of a city gate celeb. Ooh. And we're going to see her. Jim's going to put her picture up in a minute. So if you see that picture, you'll know who she is. And in the world of mother-in-laws, I will tell you that I got one of the good ones. I've heard horror stories um, of mother-in-laws. There's lots of movies based on relationships between daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws. But in the realm of mother-in-laws, I really did get one of the good ones. And I am going to tell you a little bit about Marie. Um, so for those of you who know her, you know that she's just the sweetest, sweetest lady. Um, but she has not had an easy life. She has not. Um, it, to give a bit of background, about 42 years ago, her husband left her. Um, so left her with, and at that time, she was cared for her children at home. So she didn't have a job outside of the home. Basically left her with no money, no, no source of income. And she ended up having to move back to Kelowna where her parents were uh, with Uh, My husband, Darren, at the age of 60, Um, she eventually came back to Ontario and had to rebuild her life from nothing. And she made a career out of helping people. Her last job was for the Red Cross, where she literally devoted her life to helping people. That's what she did. Um, About 13 years after the divorce, she met a lovely man by the name of Bill. I didn't actually get to meet him because shortly after being married, he was diagnosed with cancer and he died within a year. Um, and after that, um, she suffered the tragic loss of a the grandson. Uh, there's been much heartache and heartbreak in her life, and she is the happiest person yeah. I know. Yeah. And if you were to ask her how her day was, it's usually fantastic, amazing. You know, it's just the best day ever. And if I was to, if I was to find any kind of fault. With my mother-in-law, it is literally that she's happy all the time, especially in the morning before coffee. Really happy then. And she sings, like she sings or hums happy songs all the time. This is genuinely, she is filled with joy. She does not have a bitter bone in her body. She really does not. And however, if I was in the position of Orca and Ruth and I had lost everything and I was in the throes of grief and I was struggling and I was didn't know what I was gonna do with my life. My choice would be with Camp Orpah, I'd be gone because you just think about self-preservation when you are in that moment. You're just like, I wanna go and I wanna be with people that know me where I can grieve and recover and try to figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. You are not leaving everything you know to go to a land where you're not liked. You're, you're not gonna do that. So if, if Marie said to me, I'm going back to a in Alberta, I'd be like, here's your plane ticket. I love you. Don't worry. We're not shipping you off, mom. We're not, we're not shipping you off. <laughs> right? So Ruth was not leaving. Ev- not just leaving everything that she knew, her culture, her family. She was, as I mentioned, she's going to Bethlehem. That should ring a bell for you, by the way. Bethlehem. You don't know Bethlehem? Jesus' birthplace. <laughs> Important place. So, uh, you know, she was leaving. So I was trying to think of if, if there was an illustration. In Canada, we really don't know what that would feel like. To you know, for a culture to kind of come in and be immediately hated, right? Mm-hmm. And the closest thing, and I know this is a you know pale comparison, would be like if all you Leaf Nations guys, gals, were in the ACC and there was like that lone Montreal Canadiens fan with a Canadians jersey <laughs> sitting in the benches, and you would, you would feel that visceral kind of like I hate that guy, right? <laughs> so closest thing I could come up with, closest thing I could come up with, so. Basically, we get, we get the picture, we get the picture that Ruth made a remarkably selfless decision, right? She was, it was brave. It was selfless. It was this incredible love that she had. And it wasn't just that she was committing to, to stick it out with her. She covenanted with her, said, me, the Lord let evil things befall me. If I don't keep my promise to you, like I am in this with you to the end. So it was, it was quite remarkable, Right. So let's go back to the scene. We're almost at the end of scene one. And basically Ruth and Naomi have traveled 50 miles from where they were in Moab, seven to 10 day trek on feet back to Bethlehem. And they're entering in and Naomi is entering and the people are, are, is that Naomi? Like, is that her? She actually come back and she hears them and her, her response is important. So I want you to go to verse 20 uh so when she hears the people say is that naomi naomi says this and this is important she says verse 20 don't call me naomi she told them call me mara because the almighty has made my life fair bitter i went away full but the lord has brought me back empty in that i love that because it's real right it's real and i think any of us probably have experienced to some extent feeling that emptiness she she was came back with nothing right she came back to her hometown with absolutely nothing. So that ends our act one. And now we open act two and that you can entitle this the hero. So here we are introduced to our hero of the day, which is Boaz. So, so let's dig in here. So now uh, Naomi and Ruth are in Bethlehem. They got to eat, right? So at that time it was harvest time in, in Bethlehem. And what that meant was like the harvesters were out gathering the barley and the wheat or whatever they were gathering Um, and how uh, what the law stated and what was customary at that time is that the landowners, who people who own the fields they would leave either the corners of their fields empty for the poor to 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 harvest or they were allowed to come behind the workers and and gather the leftovers so Ruth is like I'm going to go glean in a field so that we have some food so she ends up going and asking permission to glean in a field of a man by the name of Boaz now she didn't know who this was Um, So she works there. She gets permission. She works there all day and night. And Boaz, the owner of the field, comes to check to see how things are going and uh, asks and notices Ruth and says, who is this? Who is this woman? And the workers tell him that this is the woman that's come from, she's always called the Moabite. You'll note, right? The Moabite. This is the Moabite S. She's here. She's working. She's the one that's come with Naomi. And words spread about Ruth's character. This was quite, it actually could have gone bad for her, but it went well for her. She was uh, quite respected for this decision that she made. Now, what's cool here is that uh, Boaz shows great favor to Ruth in this moment. He didn't have to. She was a foreigner, right? But he notices her. And this is a thing we're going to see here is this this amazing grace that God is lavishing upon these people. And Boaz is that person that foreshadows that. So he, he not only says, yeah, okay, you're good. He calls her over. He speaks to her. He, he says, bless, blesses what you've done. Like he blesses her. He says, not only he gives uh, her permission to continue daily to go behind his women who were the women, probably wives of the workers to continue to glean and continue to make sure that she had food, but he even instructs the workers, you know what? pull out this from what you've harvested, pull out some extras and just leave it for her. You know, like he went over and beyond. It was, it was quite remarkable, the story. He also extended his protection over her because at that time, if you were a single woman, a widow, it was not safe for you to be out. It was not a safe place for women at this time. It was not. So he, he instructed his men, don't give her any trouble. Leave her alone. He extends his protection over her. So here uh, I want to point out, we're going to move to chapter two. Because you can picture Ruth is now, she actually had about 30 pounds of barley that she ends up threshing and she brings home. And I could just sort of picture the scene here. She comes in, you know, with with this amazing stuff that she's gathered. And, and Naomi is like, like where, where did you glean from, right? Like, what, where did you get? This is amazing. And so let's go to chapter two. And we're going to go to verses. I think it's two verse 20. Yes, it is. Two verse 20. And so Ruth says, it was Boaz's field. And so in verse 20, it says, Naomi says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added, the dead being her husband. That man is our close relative. He is one of our family guardians. Now, that word family guardians, another translation, if you look, King James is kinsman redeemer. So we're going to use that term, kinsman redeemer, to really show... It's really awesome. So, Kinsman Redeemer, okay? Now, um, I kind of feel that the word redeem in the English language, like, it's not a word we really use every day here, right? I was trying to think, like, when do I use the redeem word? And I'm like, when I'm, like, at Superstore, redeeming my points, right? When I redeem my points? And I'm like, we, we don't really, it's not something that has weight here, right? But back then, it had weight, right? So, here, I'm going to explain why. Um, So the verb redeem is actually the Hebrew word ga'al, ga'al. And it means this, it means to regain possession by payment or to buy back something that was lost, okay? Uh, Go'al would have been the word redeemer. And what that meant was to act as kinsmen, make a note of that. Um, And it also means to redeem from slavery. So you got to understand that people at this time would have been told about God redeeming their people out of slavery, right? Mm -hmm. So back in Exodus 6, 6 and Exodus 15, it talks about how God is their redeemer. He redeemed them out of slavery. So there was this great importance of this word redeem. It really was like going from slavery to freedom. It was like, you know, it was a powerful, it was a powerful term. It meant something to them. Mm -hmm. So Boaz was called this kinsman redeemer. Where that comes from is that there was a law called the Leverite Law. It's a big word, you don't have to remember it, but Leverite. Lever, meaning brother-in-law. And what the law stated was that if a widow, so a woman became a widow and she did not have a child, she could marry the brother-in-law. And the brother-in-law would marry her so she could have a child by him and carry on the family line. Okay? So that was really important because if you became a widow and you did not have a son... It was like the end of the world, literally your purpose, your whole purpose for existing. Your purpose in life was to carry on the line, right? It was to carry. on wasn't just to have babies. It was, it was important. It was like women knew from the moment they were born, this, this whole lineage thing had been ingrained in them. This lineage is vital. You have a vital role to play. Your role to play is to have a son so this son can carry on this lineage, right? And so. This kinsman redeemer became very important. And we see that now in the role of Boaz. So he wasn't technically the brother-in-law, but we see that it was extended to the closest kin. Okay. All right. So that's the Leverite law. Now we, now the scene opens into act three. So Ruth has been gleaning in the fields. Then Naomi says to her, so art, sorry, act three, the proposal, come on, this is a great word. Mm-hmm. Great. is the proposal for act three. Um, mm-hmm. Ruth has been gleaning. She's had this favor from Boaz and Naomi hatches a plan. She's like, (laughs) she sees God's faithfulness in that Ruth has caught his attention and she devises a plan to secure Ruth's future. And so what she decides to do is she says, Ruth, I want you to prepare yourself like a bride would be prepared for her groom. So she basically dresses up, perfumes herself. And then she says, I want you to go to the threshing floor. Okay. Now the threshing floor was not necessarily the most private of places. So the threshing floor when they were harvesting in those days, they would gather all their barley and they would be in this place. I don't know if it was a covered building, we don't really know, but it was a place where all the workers would gather and often the owner would stay there with the workers to protect their harvest from being stolen, okay? So and it was really like kind of like a party time, right? So they were drinking, they're being merry, it was a very, you know, happy time. Um, so she was basically, uh, Naomi's plan was go to the threshing floor when they're all asleep, when he, Boaz is asleep, lay at his feet, uncover his feet, and then he will tell you what to do. So it, it, it sounds kind of weird, but honestly, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it, it is her way of proposing to him. Right. And the, the cool thing is, is this could have gone like really badly. And, but it didn't, and it never at one point is her character ever in question, ever. Um, neither is Boaz's, and so Boaz wakes up, and who's that? You know who's there, and and Bruce says, and I and I do want to uh, read what she says. So in chapter three, verses. Uh, sorry, guys, one second. There it is. All right, so verse seven. I'll just read from um, verse seven on. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down in the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a family guardian or kinsman redeemer. That was her proposal. She proposed to him. So first of all, awesome. Um, So... (laughs) Uh, basically, he says yes to make a long story short. He says, I will do what you ask. How could you have chosen me? He actually was honored by the proposal because he was older. He was an older guy. It doesn't say whether he was married or widowed. Some of the scholars say that he was a widower. Um, he was honored that this young woman had chosen him. So basically, he says yes, and then we move to act four, which is the wedding. So um basically what happens is Boaz marries Ruth, right? So there's a few obstacles that he needs to overcome and he skillfully does that, that it basically, he gains the hand of Ruth in marriage. And, uh, we're going to read verse, we're going to go to chapter four and read verse 13 because this is where it gets kind of cool. It's already cool, but you get where I'm going. All right. So verse 13 from chapter four says this. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a family guardian, kinsman, redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And then in verse 16, the Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that David would be the David. That would be King David. So here's what's so interesting about that. Now, obviously, you know, we remember that Naomi entered Bethlehem empty, right? Mm -hmm. And here is where we see this full circle come and how God has used this kinsman redeemer to redeem her life. And it wasn't like they were saying, this is your son. It was obviously her grandson, but it's what it represented, right? Her life is now full again. It has been redeemed, redeemed from despair, redeemed from destitution, it has been redeemed through this Kinsman Redeemer. And this brings me to one of the favorite, my favorite parts of this whole story. Now try not to get too excited, but it really does come down to the genealogies. So I don't know about you, but I would like would fall asleep whenever there was like something on the genealogies. And you know, I was like, it's, you know, there's a like a bunch of weird names and so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. And and I'm like, like, sorry, until I did a study of this book. And there's a few things that I learned that I did not know. Again, not sure if I missed it because I wasn't paying attention, but we're just going to pretend like it's new to everybody today. So here we go. <laughs> um, so one of the tools they tell you to do when you are studying a book of the Old Testament is to look to see if it's been referenced in the New Testament. Okay, so I did that. I'm like, is Ruth mentioned in the New Testament? And Ruth is mentioned once in the New Testament, only once. And it happens to be in Matthew chapter one, which is the genealogy of Jesus. First book of the New Testament. First chapter of the first book of the New Testament. Ruth is in there. She is listed. Now, this genealogy of Jesus, I was like, that is interesting. And then I'm looking a little bit deeper. And and I realized that uh, there are five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Five. Uh, One of them being Mary. So we've got four. Three of those women are directly or indirectly related to the Book of Ruth. I'm like, so then I'm like, all right, let's like let's dig, let's dig a little deeper, right? So we're going to look into these three women, and we're going to see these beautiful redemptive stories that God has purposely remember, I'm saying this. He's weaved these stories into His whole story of redemption. It's amazing. So buckle up. Here we go. So the first woman mentioned is in Matthew one verse chapter uh, one verse three, and it's Tamar. Now, it's a pretty obscure story, and I'm going to give you a a brief summary here. But in in chapter 4, Ruth 4, verses 12, she's mentioned. And it says in chapter, you don't have to go there, verse 12. It says, through the offspring, so this is the blessing story. This is the blessing towards the people are saying towards Ruth and Boaz. They're blessing their marriage. And they say this, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. Whenever you see something like that, you're like, well, who, why does that matter? Why would they say that here? Like, why is it important? I'm going to tell you. So when she says Judah, Tamar bore to Judah, Judah is the Judah. What I mean by that is, so we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the father of 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was one of those tribes. Jesus is often called the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah named after these, this Judah. Bethlehem is in the land of judah judah the judah okay so we got it you're following me so uh what's interesting is that tamar was married to judah had three sons was married to her first son the first son dies she's now a widow this is where we see that Levirate right law come in so judah says you can marry my second son so they get married but what happens is the second guy wasn't too good god didn't like him it says he was evil in his sight he dies she's now a widow twice Judah then says to her, why don't you go and live with your father's house as a widow until my youngest son grows up? You can then marry and then fulfill your purpose and we'll, you know, do things according to what we're supposed to do. Judah had no intention of letting her marry his third son. None. Why? Well, probably because back then it would have been seen like she was cursed or something. I don't want my third son to die. So really, (laughs) she's like cast off, forgotten, right? She would have been shunned. She would have been like seen as, you know, her two husbands died. Well, the woman would have been blamed at that time and in that culture. Right. So what she does is she devises a plan, which again, desperate times. Right. She devises a plan. Judah had recently become widowed. And what she does is she disguises herself. She ends up seducing Judah. She gets pregnant. And basically at the time when it's going to be revealed, she basically tells, these are your, she proves that it was him that fathered these, you know, that basically got her pregnant. Um, the words out of Judah's mouth was, she is more righteous than I. Because she remembered, she knew, she knew her purpose. She knew the God of Israel. She knew the law. She knew what was promised. She took the matters into her own hands. And she had twins by Judah. And it says that he never stuck with her again. So she did. She had these boys and her first son, Paris. And what's interesting, too, is that says Paris ended up being head of a leading clan in Judah and the ancestor of King David. He's the one that's mentioned in Ruth, and he's the one that's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. So you can see, are you seeing, are you seeing the redemption here? I'm hoping it's coming through clear. Okay. Now, the next one, the next woman that's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus is a pretty popular name, Rahab. Uh, Toby touched on it, and I'm going to touch on it again because it's a powerful story. Um she's Matthew 1 verse 5 and her stories in Joshua 2 if you actually want to read the whole story but I'm going to do it in a quick way here. So Rahab is of course I remember being told she's a prostitute in the genealogy of Jesus. I'm like, wow, you know, God uses the most unlikely people. But let's just look at it a little deeper. So Rahab if you may or may not recall, um was the prostitute that hid she was in Jericho. God had told the Israelites you're going to take this city. It's the walled city. It's the one they marched around seven times. The trumpets walls came down, but Rahab and her family were the only ones to survive because she hid the spies that had come beforehand. She hid them and she said, I am hiding, I'm hiding you because she knew the Israelite God was the real deal. She knew it and she claimed it. She's like, I'm the people here are terrified. It's your God that's the real deal. Save me and my family. Took those matters into her own hands. Mm-hmm. Save me and my family, and they did. And it says at the end of that scene in Joshua that the only people to survive were Rahab and the people that were with her, her family that were with her. And then the line says that she went to live among the Israelites. And then you don't hear anything until you read the genealogy. And so then I'm reading the genealogy. And then it says somewhere kind of halfway down. and I read Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. I did not know that. I missed that lesson. So I was like, that's amazing to me. It wasn't just she was, you know, made one good choice. She, her life was redeemed for someone there. How many millions of Israelite women would there have been? Yeah, Yeah. A lot to choose from. She was not only a foreigner, she was a Canaanite. And at that time, like they were destroyed for a reason. Right. And she was brought in a foreigner into the people, not beloved and welcome. Right. But like or well, we're saving you because you did good. Salmon, whoever, whatever that story is, redeemed her life. God chose her, redeemed her. Mother of Boaz, right? Amazing. So you're getting, you're catching my general gist here. So the third woman that is mentioned is, is Ruth, right? So, and we've, we've looked at her story. We see her redemption. So why does this Bring me to tears, which I'm not crying now, But honestly, I've had several moments this week. And why is this important and relevant? I would be, so one, they're women. So I would be remiss if I don't speak to the gender issue here. Um, I mean, the Bible has come under a lot of scrutiny in the world for its treatment of women. You know, it gets said that, you know, it perpetuates misogynistic views. um, You know, and I think the story of these three women counter that beautifully. I really do. Um, in, a, in a time and a place where they existed, in the culture that they existed, women were not seen to have value, right? It was just a fact. I'm not perpetuating anything and saying it was right. It was just fact. They were very, not much more than property, right? And, you know, I, I keep thinking about Judges, and I think about even a few verses before the end of Judges, Um you know, it says you see the scene where people are just kind of these women were saved and they were dancing. And then it, the people were told these Benjamites were told, go and get a wife. They literally like grab the wife, throw them over their shoulder and off they went. Right. Like that's <laughs> like that's just what happened. They were like it. It was not a, a safe or an easy place to be a woman. And then you put in the circumstances that these women were in. Right. We have widows. Right. Childless prostitutes. Right. And God chose them. God chose them and he gave them a voice when they did not have a voice at that time. He gave them a voice and here we are talking about them today and we're changed by their story. Right. And I love that. And I love the fact that I get an opportunity to be able to speak to all the women here and be like, he sees you right. The other reason that I think this is relevant is because I talk about redemption and the truth is is that God can redeem our past, our present and our future. Mm-hmm. And this is clearly illustrated in these stories, clearly clearly illustrated. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have how does he redeem our past? Well, we see Rahab, whom I mentioned, right? He redeems her past as a prostitute as a woman likely not of noble character like Ruth. Right? Questionable decisions you know, not respected. And he redeems her past and puts her here, (laughs) right? Elevates her position and puts her here, gives her a place of honor. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11. You guys remember remember that? Mm -hmm. Hebrews 11 being our faith hall of fame. I love the fact that she's mentioned. Ruth's not mentioned. A lot of amazing women are not mentioned. She's mentioned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Great. And what's interesting too, is I, I put two and two together. You can sometimes, my, sometimes I, I like overthink things and my brain is like going and i was sitting there and I'm just like, oh, so if Rahab was the mother of Boaz, Boaz, and you know, we go back to that final scene where, where Naomi is holding this, her grandson Obed, mm-hmm. right? And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. If Rahab was Boaz's mother, that would have been her grandson too. Mm-hmm right? And so technically, like, you see this line, and we're all leading to King David, right? So literally, it's like winning the DNA lottery, right? Like, (laughs) it's like a big deal to be in the line of David, right? You're related to royalty. Your present was leading to this, was all leading to this, which, which all points to Jesus, right? The David, and you see the line goes right down to Jesus. So then he redeems our future, and through the birth of Perez... Tamar's future was redeemed. Remember I said that was, their, that was their motivation, that was their sole purpose? We see that through Tamar's son, Perez, right? And then, of course, he redeems our present. And as we've seen in the story of Ruth and Naomi, God redeemed their state of despair. He brought them a kinsman redeemer. And he used their present circumstances to tell this incredible story of redemption. And he sees our emptiness. And through our ultimate redeemer, Jesus, we will be full again, too, right? So what do I want you to take away from this? For those of you who have ever felt less than, it could be because you are a woman, it could be because of your race, it could be because of your past and where you come from, it could be because of your current life circumstances, maybe you're struggling with mental health issues, maybe just plain health issues, perhaps you're struggling financially or can't seem to get your life together, or even You feel less than because on the outside, you've got it all together. But on the inside, you feel empty. You see, I want you to know that there's a redeemer who sees you, who sees you. A redeemer who is for you. And he's paid the price for your life. And his name is Jesus. And for those of you who know know him, maybe you've been a Christian a long time like I have. I'm here to bear witness to the hope in this book because he's a weaving a story of redemption in your life. He has not forgotten you. And you know what? Life is hard. And sometimes we get worn out and sometimes the heartbreak hurts, right? It hurts, but he weaves the story of redemption through our life circumstances and he takes the fragments of our life and he makes something beautiful. He is there to go from empty to full and it's through him and it's because he's for you. If I could say anything today that I've learned from this, it's that he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. So I'd like to invite anyone here. I'm wrapping up guys. Thanks for coming on this ride with me. It's been awesome. Um, I was driving home from the cottage and, and uh, I was playing that song, The Blessing by Carrie Jove, and if any of you guys know it, but it's based on a passage in scripture in Numbers. Um, and there's a part of this song where, you know, he, that's what they say over and over and over again. And I'm weeping, which I don't recommend while driving. It's just not a good <laughs> idea. Um, but it was that part where it's like it says, you know, that he is for us, he is for you. And it repeats it over and over again. And whether you don't know Jesus, and this is new to you or whether you've known jesus a long time sometimes we forget mm-hmm. and i just hope that through this story you see that he is for you mm-hmm. and that his his redemption is for you that he takes all of what we're going through our past or present or future right he's got a plan and he is for you so i'd like to invite you know whether you're here or at uh, the other watch parties If you don't know who this Jesus is and you want to find out more, please come and talk to us. Talk to some of the leaders in your group. We would love to share more about this Jesus with you. And if any of you um, feel empty, and I know I have been there, if you feel empty and tired and just would like to be encouraged and have us pray for you, please, please come and talk to us. Please come and talk to us. We'd love to pray for you. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you were encouraged today. I hope you got something out of this amazing chapter book. And next week, our very own Justin Persaud, I believe, is doing first and second Samuel. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. God bless.